0: we're the Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers number
1: one. They're going to find a way, and they will.
2: Can you hear us, Jeff?
0: Yeah. Uh did you buzz me?
2: Yeah, I tried calling you, but we're, I didn't text you though. But we're we're just chit-chatting for a little bit.
0: Cool. Well, I've had one and quarter beers
1: maybe. Okay. And I'm drunk as hell. So let's do this. <laughs> I'm already on my second scotch, so you know, we should be we're in good company. <sighs> oh my god.
2: I sell I celebrated too hard after Kali Warring last night, so I'm completely sober <laughs> tonight, but oh. I'll be there in spirit, <laughs> you know.
0: Mm. I can't imagine what your uh, Warren uh poster looks like today.
2: Uh it's I don't know, it's like about as worn out as the Josh Allen one is, you know.
0: <laughs> well that's your Josh Allen real doll. Yeah. Um, and
2: Pro Bowl quarterback Josh Allen. I uh,
1: well, it just I was I was gonna try you know, try to picture your reaction if like Warren had actually scored a touchdown at that point. It had just been like <laughs>
0: That would have been it. No, Matt would have become one with the universe at that moment.
1: I think I already am. I think I already am. <laughs> I with think that, like a thermonuclear <laughs> explosion of something like Tsar Bomba impact. If he <laughs> score scored a touchdown, we have see like a mushroom cloud from San Marcos or something. It'd, it'd have <laughs> been awesome.
2: Yeah, I'm already does. So well, that happened. I beat Luke in the in the championship for the fantasy football league. So I'm uh, It can. It was about as good a day of football as it could be. Do you have the jacket still, Jeff? Or did you send it over to Sam?
0: No, Sam hasn't wanted it just because of the whole COVID thing and the fact oh, okay. that we had it. Yeah, so she's she's holding off. So we gotta we gotta let Sam have it first. At least for a little while, and we'll give it to you.
2: Okay, well you need to send it to her then, make this thing happen.
0: She she lives like ten blocks that way.
2: We'll just go <laughs> shove in her mailbox then.
0: Well no, we're gonna yeah. Poor Sam. Yeah, we'll figure it out. I'll text her tonight.
2: Okay. Cause I I need to cut the sleeves off that sucker and uh and get my use out of it. You know I've waited three years of getting be in the playoffs for this moment. You know.
0: But you know that that Dunsmore had it, and it's it's like you can sleep a family four in it comfortably.
2: Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. I'm so excited for it. And it
0: and it weighs like 40 pounds. It's crazy. Is it pretty warm? Yeah, I mean, it's like th- just this, this mass of denim upon you.
2: Oh, man. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, I'm going to send Sam an email tonight, too, and be like, hey, you need to get this sucker from Jeff, and then you need to send it to me in, like, three weeks or whatever so I can enjoy my winter this year.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, but she has to have a chance. We can't diss, we can't diss Sam on this one. <laughs> She's too awesome
2: yeah well, she should have been better about it earlier in the year, but we'll uh, we'll
0: make it work out it is my fault all right well, I'm ready whenever y'all are. go ahead,
2: hello everyone. You're listening to battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston this evening. I'm joined by the biggest the fattest, the drunkest on all our good pal b f d and uh another writer at the pod at the website who's now on the podcast again, our good pal Scott. How are you guys doing tonight?
1: Oh, uh, we're I'm doing good. Uh, how about y'all?
0: Yeah. Don't speak for me. I mean, you know, another 18 hour day. So let's do this drops <laughs> dead.
2: <laughs> well, to continue on your 18 hour day, you know, a few weeks ago, we had the same conversation, United BFD, where we talked about the Colts game and, uh, it's like the exact same thing happened all over again. Two weeks ago, they lost because Nick Martin at the two-yard line uh, had Grover Stewart in front of him and was so afraid and so anxious about making that block. He whipped on the snap, missed the block, and allowed Stewart a free pass to knocked the ball away from Watson, which led to a Colts recovery and a Texans loss. This week, it was a fourth and five down where Watson was able to hit Kiki Cutie split the two linebackers in the center of the field. He broke one tackle, turned a field try to score. And got tackled from behind by Darius Leonard, fumbled to the end zone. Kenny Moore recovers, and the Texans lose again. Um, what felt like the dumbest loss of all time two weeks ago may have been just as dumb <laughs> this week. Uh, so BFT, where would you rank this loss to the Colts in the record book of Texans losses to the Colts, and would you rank it ahead of Nick Morris miss And this question is also from at underscore Lee Green. Look,
0: look, look! It's the Colts, right? So it's. It wasn't a matter of if we were gonna lose. It was gonna be a matter of in which spectacular fashion we were gonna lose this game. Because that's what we do to the Colts. I mean, we had Hoyer's Floater a couple years ago. In addition to all this, we had the Rosencopter. I mean, the the Texans find really cool, neat, imaginative ways to lose to the Colts. And it's fun. It's great. It's it's high entertainment for me. (laughs) So is this is like a top five. I mean, it's like, you know, I still think the Nick Martin is better than it. So when you when consider Hoyer's floater, when you consider the Rosencopter, um you consider Nick Martin, I think that's number four.
2: Yeah, I would have the top five too. I would put it behind the Martin one. I think I would go Rosencopter, then Martin. Then I think I would go Jadavion Clowney jumping off sides on third and one or whatever, because uh, that was brutal. Maybe I felt so bad for Jadavion. He was so upset on that one. And that was also the play two where they weren't ready whenever the Colts came out, and they quick-snapped Eric Ebron wide open in the flat. He scored in that play two. And that would put um, four would be this loss with the Kiki, Kiki QD fumble. And then I would say Hoyer's floor number five. And that one hurt mainly because they lost to Matt Hasselbeck, and he was like 43 years old at that point, you know. <laughs> and can only throw the ball like two yards.
0: <laughs> he had all the arm strength of Drew Brees in that game.
2: Yeah, not even, not even the same arm strength as Phil Rivers back then. Uh, <laughs> so, Scott, our next question is from at Shanny Ben, and he asks, "Why us?" And so I guess he's asking, wait, wait,
0: wait. Let, let, is, does Scott answer that question?
2: Oh, no. We're we're you know we're we're flipping the baton around a little bit.
1: Um, eh. Well, I mean, if you want to say why us, then you get to like a larger that that's just a larger question about Houston pro sports in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I. I don't know what it was about Houston that overall for its entirety of pro sports history that somehow we find ourselves that you expect the worst to happen, and it will. You just want to know how creative is it going to be. I mean, we we just – I don't know if we made like a deal with Mes- Mephistopheles and we're <laughs> getting the short end of it, or you know, is it like we're so adamant that we got to be better than that team from far southern Oklahoma. I, I, it's just, I don't know what we did exactly. It just seems to happen. Now, you know, this happens for a number of other franchises too. I mean, like for 40 plus years, Pittsburgh was always a team that found a way to suck and be creative about sucking. And then they had the immaculate reception and now everyone remembers them as a dominant team. So maybe that moment's coming for us. I don't know. But that we lost this creatively in 2020, given the state of the Texans, this should not be a surprise to anybody. We, you know, it's been discussed ad nauseum, but like how poorly our roster was constructed, and then like the nightmare schedule to start, which put us behind the eight ball to begin with, and then we just would find a way to brutally lose. And, you know, I'm sure there's some deeper existential, Discussion about why it is, and you could bring in like your philosophy guys and your religion guys to explain in depth why it is that we find a way to do this, but it's just our lot in life. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we need to sacrifice like a chicken or we need to get a hold of some voodoo priestess or something to change the course of this, but it, I, I expect that for the rest of 2020 to be sure, we will find a way to be very creative, and it probably will not be in the positive column for us. We'll just find a way to do it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does feel very like Faustian in that regard by like, there's some sort of like deal with the devil Houston made. Uh, I don't know when it happened. Maybe whenever the earth was created itself and whenever this area was, un- was, was still underwater uh, that led to this occurring. But last year, Houston was nine and three in one score games this year, they're two and seven in one score games. And so like they, it was funny because like in the discord and then even, you know, me at home, I was like, they're going to lose this game, and it's just a question of how stupid it's going to happen, and I imagine Nick Martin snapping the ball over Deshaun Watson's head, and this time <laughs> it was it was Kiki Cutie uh, fumbling into the end zone, with, like a similar kind of play with the, the fumbling head against Baltimore, where he catches it, turns a field, and, you know, gets hit unexpectedly from behind, and I uh, was unable to, you know, hold on to it that time as well, too, but yeah, it was it was ridiculous, and unbearable, and hilarious, and that morning, uh, I got asked by Steph to talk to her and Eddie and uh, and also I got to meet Mr. Hayward Spark and so it was nice talking to them that morning and then watching like at least a competitive game and then seeing a uh seeing them lose in some stupid fashion, which is like the best two thousand twenty S offer for Texans football. And so I do wanna say, you know, give a shout out to Mr. Hayward Spark for meeting him for the first time and Steph and Eddie and I uh, hopefully next year we can actually go watch a game or so. Um, and actually be able to watch Texans football aside from just like living room, li- the living room and screens and everything else. Um, so BFT, can yeah. you say anything good about this Houston-Texans game before we get into all the bad and brutal analysis that uh, we're so very good at doing?
0: The, look, look, the, the, this game this weekend, Big Matt, I mean, let's just be honest. The best thing, the best te- takeaway from that game, I'm going to give to you because you got to man crush and so i want to hand it off to you oh
2: wow oh i feel so honored oh my god Wow. Uh, well first off xavier rhodes cannot cover khali waring he has no business being on the same field as Kali waring i got to ride about an incompletions and i wish i had a little bit more time where i could ride a film room on khali waring where it's just like five clips and be like This is the future. The future's now. You know, the future's here. Another person, Bill O'Brien, completely wasted. But he, at the time position, he, like, ran an out route above the first level and then took off past, you know, Xavier Rhodes. There wasn't a vertical route in that section of the field. And then uh, he ran that post route where Cuyuti runs a curl, so now Rhodes has the first vertical. And it turns out to be Kahali because of how, like, I think he's, like, vertical for, you know, three, like, two seconds or whatever. He can't keep up with him as well. makes a catch over him. And it was, like, the exact sort of play that... We you're, watched this really time in San Diego. I'm more than <laughs> sweaty right now. I, gotta <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I
0: just want to do a check in to make sure you're okay. I'm more than so. As soon as
2: this podcast is over, just saying about this again, I have to go back to the doctor. I've I've had to go there <laughs> three different times for uh, for being rigid for longer than the four hours that you know the doctor yeah, says that you can. Yeah, do so. I'd
1: recommend a few cold showers starting now, but you know that's.
2: <laughs> I don't think there's a shower cold enough that could temper this this pounding heart right now. <laughs> Uh, oh. but that catch over Xavier Rose in the poster like that was the great one that was kind of like the stuff he was doing at San Diego State that we've been waiting so long for like look learn the playbooks for nerds it's dumb Uh, just get college reps because that's the one thing that matters you know
0: yeah I, I, once again we got kiki cutie syndrome we got warring syndrome we got all these guys who are in Bob's doghouse that all of a sudden can perform and do things on the field on the footballs and it's it's so frustrating especially cute you know he got hit from behind he fumbled he lost us the game he has ball control issues look in between dude does a lot Mm -hmm. you can teach ball control you can teach ball security you can teach these things but the mere fact that bill o'brien kept these guys in the doghouse when there was the other guys you're putting out on the field are just trash oh my god it hurts my brain
1: well, I, I feel like with the Giants, with Tiki Barber, for example, a guy couldn't hold on to the ball to save his life, but then they worked on the technique, and all of a sudden, you know, he's like Pro Bowl back. And I don't think, like his last couple seasons, I can't recall him actually fumbling at all. So it's possible. But yeah, that one of many indictments you could say about the latter stages of the Bill O'Brien regime. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and Q- but it wasn't
0: even latter. It was Cutie was drafted and. and- what two years ago and warring drafted two years ago i mean it's not even in latter stages it's the fact that they went into the doghouse for reasons unknown for not being tough smart and dependable and never got out and it's why even draft these guys if you're not going to give them a chance mm-hmm. Ugh.
2: well and, and qd has had good games for you during the bright era, just by like running drag routes over and over again you know because so much attention was focused on will fuller and DeAndre Hopkins, like we talked about this earlier in the show, but earlier this year, that's absurd not only that Houston played DeAndre Carter over Cutie, but had this player with this amount of talent and went and gave Randall Cobb like a dramatic, you know, contract to do something that he's not even as good as a player in his rookie contract can do right away as well, too. And so like QD had a really good game again this week. He had a he had, like he's just good against the Colts because he's able to quickly run past the first level and find holes in the zone. And there was a lot of the things that he had success with uh, two weeks ago against today. The other, the other good thing I have to say about this game is I know like earlier in the year it's like is Pharaoh Brown good, and then I watched him, I watched the film. It's like yeah, he's not that good, but I think he's like gotten better as the year has gone on. And just like as a blocker, like this was the best blocking game he's had um in in Houston this year so far. And, like, I still think he's the best Texans blocking tight end that team has ever had. And, like, he had a really great game uh, by, like, reach, reaching the alley defender. Really good—some really good pool blocks where he's able to get his head on the outside shoulder. Kahali had a couple of good blocks as well, too. And it's just, like, funny seeing the dramatic difference between, you know, Brown as a blocker and Warring as a pass catcher, even though it's only two catches. You can really Darren Fellas who's just like a Clydesdale, you know, who will catch the ball and then fall, you know, fall down or is a big red zone target. But doesn't provide anything else at all, and is an older player. And so he's just yet another example of like how Houston's had problem problems with internal development in the O'Brien era, and gives some sort of like hope for the future whenever a new head coach comes in and can get more of the talent that on this roster this team currently has. Um, so Deshaun Watson was another bright spot as well as he's been every week. He can play thirty three of his forty one attempts for three hundred seventy three yards. He had two touchdowns, zero touch, zero interceptions averaged 9.1 yards and 10, and it seems like he really has figured out the Colts' cover-7 man-match defense. Uh, Scott, why has Watson had so much success against the Colts so far this year?
1: Well, I mean, for the most part, I mean, Watson's going to have success against about, just about anybody. Um, and I think as a Colts fan, you got to be concerned because, particularly this game, like, the Texans at this point are out of it. And you know, they've got a bad defense. You know, they can't stop the run, even if you armed them with AK 47s. <laughs> and they just. And I think part of it is like, you know, indoor stadium. So it's not going to. Weather's not going to impact Watson when he's throwing the ball. Uh, the Colts should know better. And I think, you know, good on the Texans for showing the fight that they did, particularly when they were down 14 to nothing. I kind of figured, oh, great. They're just going to mail it in. We're going to wax nostalgic about what the bears did to him last week, but you know, good on the Texans for still fighting. Uh, but you know, I think Watson had a degree of, uh, comfort and particularly, I I feel like the Colts, you know, what they did when they got up 14 to nothing, then they kind of like, okay, we got this. So then they throttled back and and just didn't do enough to put the kill shot in the Texans when they needed to,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like from a, Neutral perspective. I think the Colts. It sh- never should have come down to the fourth quarter. They should have ended this game well before they threw the forty-one yard bomb to T.J. You know T.Y. Hilton. Th- this game should have been over long before it was, and that that's on the Colts. Um, and, and you know Watson is a great quarterback. Period. Dot. End of story. Even you know you take away Hopkins, his best offensive weapon, and he still has a great. He's having a great season. And it's. You know, and there's a lot of indictments and we've gone over that before, but it's just, you know, watching the great quarterback and the Colts defense. I think that's got to be concerning because, you know, they were supposed to be advertised as great defense. and They generally have good personnel. But if a guy like Watson on a bad team is tearing you apart, what's going to happen when the Colts get in the playoffs and then they face a team that a better caliber team that's going to have a good passing game. I I don't think they're very long for the playoffs as much as they should be. And, you know, that I, I feel like it's just been more of an indictment of the Colts in this game than the Texans, particularly the second one where the Texans have nothing to play for a bad team. And the Colts never should have let it kept it. Never should have let it be this close. They should have just run us into the ground by the third quarter and had this done.
2: Yeah. So. I think one of the things about Watson playing Indian, the way the Texans offense is built right now, it's a lot of like, you know, kind of like crossing routes. It's a lot of option routes. It's a lot of pivot routes, a lot of juke routes. You know, it's things where whenever you play against a zone defense like this, you can spread out, swim out horizontally. Um, they ran like a lot of good combinations where they're able to get past the first level and kind of sit in between the first level and, and the second level of the defense. And um, they had some good plays like that. i really like the only time they went vertical at all, was that play-action pass out of a full house backfield where the Colts are running cover three and they ran that Yankee concept where uh, you have three guys who run with the first cross from the Chet and they have Chad Hansen wide open down the sideline just staying there completely still. Like that was the only deep pass they had that game. And so I just think like with Houston, where their offense is built like with a lot of horizontal, more, it's more of a horizontal offense than the passing game, um, it's just a really good attack for a team like Indy, not, not so much as a team like Chicago who can play a uh, man coverage against them as well too. Uh, BFT, why do you think Watson's had so much success against the Colts this year?
0: I, I don't know how to disagree with what you just said. It seems like he, <clears throat> number one, it seems like that he is able to create more space against the Colts. And I think it's because their pass rush is fine, but not great. So when he was really struggled this year is when he's truly under pressure. <clears throat> and the Colts just don't do that uh, or didn't do that. This, these two games. So, If he is able to give himself some space, make some time, then he can do a lot more damage. But um, I have something else I want to say about this. But like, you know, Justin Houston didn't have a great game. Mm -hmm. You know, it was he had he just seemed to have more time to make those decisions and process the field.
2: Yeah, it was fun watching Watson outrun just in Houston like four times, you know, where there yeah. was like, some pressure and he just like casually, and like he's not even sprinting, he's just like casually jogging. And Houston's running as fast as he can after he's not able to keep up. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. And like, you know, even whenever the Colts have pressure and they blitz, like Darius Leonard had, I think, one or two free rushes on him, Watson's either able to like throw a jump pass to create space or dodge him real quick and, and climb up the pocket. Um, they did have some problems like pass protection wise, just like overall. Like overwhelming pressure, but uh, what's about the offensive line? in Just a second, too. But yeah, I just think like it's just a very horizontal offense. Whenever they play zone coverage teams, like the ones that um, the Vikings run, like the ones the Colts run, like they'll have success in that regard against those sort of teams. Um, next question is from Eddie underscore Hassan and BFD. He asks, "Am I crazy to think that DW four can actually learn something from these last few games rather than sitting? Live game reps will be better. Will better him long term." And adversity is the worst challenge in our current endeavor. Am I crazy, right?
0: Yeah, I saw this question. I don't even know how to respond to it. It's. <sighs> you can always learn something. I think the risk for is low that he's going to get injured. I, I just, I think you need to get the dude reps, continue to get them reps, continue to let them see the field. I don't know how excited I am to see Deshaun Watson for the next couple of games I'm just not but every time he steps out on the field in a professional football game he's going to learn something
2: mm-hmm. yeah I agree with that too and I think for him the biggest thing this season has been like Winston Kelly took over was operating on more spread empty personnel because like the next good Houston Texans team isn't built around Deshaun Watson emptying the pocket with five wide receivers that's what's going to be what this team's going to be built around the future. And so, like, every game he gets where he gets more reps in that offense because he hasn't really run that offense at all up to this point in the career because of how Bill O'Brien uh, called plays and had this offense design, And so, for that reason alone, like, I think it is better for him to play. Like, next week in Cincinnati, the Bengals have one good pass rusher this year, and that's Carlos Dunlap, who has a sick long arm. And, like, that's not <laughs> Carlos Dunlap. Um, not Dunlap. Damn it. Carl Lawson. Carl Lawson. And he has a sick long arm. And that's the only thing that they'll have to really worry about next week. And so for that reason alone, I'd say I will play against Cincinnati. The Titans game, you know, the Titans already have it locked up. I don't really see the reason at all to play that game. if they're Unless they want to play the spoiler, which may not even occur. Um, week 17 of Tennessee is able to beat Green Bay next week. So I don't know. I think this really kind of comes down to. Uh, but I would, I would play him next week for sure, Week 17. I think you consider resting him. It being the last week of the year. And there's no like precedent that you can all um, set from it. Uh, Scott, what do you think? Do you think there's still value in Sean Watson playing football right now?
1: It. I, I think the issue is like, you know, at this point there's nothing left to play for. They're out of the playoffs. There's, you know, there's no gain. Maybe, for what limited ticket value in Week 17 for the Texans, like you know how limited people are they're going to actually show up at the game, get what minimal ticket and concession receipts you can get but yeah i mean if if aj mccarron ends up playing the majority of snaps over the next two weeks i'm not going to cry many tears about it mm-hmm. um and the main thing being that you've got to save watson for the longer term so he's like the only thing that's going to be attractive as far as recruiting the next gm and the next head coach mm-hmm. you yeah. know it's like hey we got your franchise quarterback we got him we don't have a lot of draft picks, and our cap situation's not good. But we got Watson.
2: Yeah, at least so. deliver him like like wrapped up and soaking in milk, and you're fresh and healthy instead of you having like break a break a foot or something like that. He's having to recover for you know four months, and I can see that as well too. Um, for this week, really the only thing that Cole hey, hey,
0: Matt, I, I was gonna jump in because of what Scott just said, and and just say um, I think. His talking about what makes it the Houston Texans attractive as a franchise <clears throat> to a GM and to a head coach and to an offensive coordinator is Deshaun Watson. I mean, really, we're we're like almost tight cast mm-hmm. in that role right now. That he's like the only guy. You look at the team, you're like, wow, this trash is right. Re- oh, Deshaun Ro- uh, Deshaun Watson. Oh yeah, the rest is trash. Is how you look at this at this roster. So uh, I just wanted to hit this a little bit. I know it's not on the script. I know I'm throwing you a curveball, and... and we're
2: professionals, it's okay. We'll
0: <laughs> I'm not. I'm just, like, the anti-professional. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, but if you're Eric Bieniemy or Brian Dayball, mm-hmm. don't you look at the San Diego Chargers and go, wait a minute, their cap situation isn't half bad. Mm-hmm. I got Justin Herbert there. Why would I take... Why would I ever take the Houston Texans... Head coaching job if I'm Eric Bieniemy,
1: Scott. And I mean, you can look at other situations, particularly like Jacksonville. Given that the Jets picked the worst time to win their first game of the season, now you're looking at Jacksonville, who's got going to have Buku cap space, going to have a lot of draft picks, and oh by the way, if this plays out the way it may play out, you got a shot at Trevor Lawrence, and then suddenly you know, Khan has got to be like happy as all get out because, you know, if he's going to make him the London Jaguars, you got like Trevor Lawrence as your franchise player. You got all this stuff going and making it really attractive. So, yeah, there's a lot for the Texans that as a GM, you know, if you want to prove that you can solve any wicked problem, the Texans are it. But if you look at other situations like the Chargers, the Jaguars, other places, as a GM, I don't know if Houston is ranks that high. Head coach, different story. But it, you know, and that's going to be the challenge for this team. And, you know, we'll talk to head coaches, and that one's going to get a lot more play, and there's a lot more out there about head coaches. You get to GMs, you're talking, like, personnel stuff, how good are they are at talent management, which is incredibly important, but not really sexy when it comes to, like, reading sports coverage. We don't like covering, you know, how good are people are at managing these things. But uh, it, yeah, the, but the thing is, Deshaun Watson is the biggest selling point you got. And as long as he doesn't suffer like some nightmare injury, a la telly Bridgewater that keeps him out for multiple seasons, Mm -hmm. you've got a selling point, but you know, heaven forbid something happens in the next two weeks and you lose him, not for just 2021, but beyond, you're going to have a real hard time selling Houston to whatever prospective GM or head coach you got in the future.
2: Yeah. And I mean, even if he had like a, a smaller injury where, like, it, even if it delays you know how early he can get into the offseason and everything else, like a new coaching staff, like, even that would be a big detriment. But I think I tweeted this last week, BFT, but I said, like, by far and away, the best opening for head coaching job next year is a Chargers job because you have Justin Herbert, who's better than Kyler Murray. He's the best one-and-two-year quarterback in the league right now. Um, you have a ton of, you'll have, like, and that's the cheat code of building a Super Bowl winning team is a quarterback on rookie <laughs> contract. And you're you know you have that for at least the next four seasons. You have premier defensive talent in a wide variety of positions. You have a pretty good pass rush, and you have a really good skill position group too. And it's like the only thing that you have to really kind of solve is like two offensive line spots. And then once you have that figured out, um, like you're ready to like you know win. The only hard part about it is that you're in the same division as Patrick Mahomes and the Raiders are acceptable at like the Broncos, maybe a quarterback away. I don't really buy that uh, though. I think they need more than just that. And like their season was more than just like bad luck and injuries, too. That's sort of the only hard thing about it is that you have to play the Chiefs twice a year, but aside from that, it's far and away the best spot. But, yeah, the only selling point to being a GM of the Texans or being the head coach of the Texans, Deshaun Watson and Deshaun Watson alone, like, that's it. And, like, you can say, well, the tackles pass protect pretty well, and maybe you can give them that, but everything else about this team is completely needs to be reworked or is, like, at the bottom of the bomb at the same time, too.
0: Yeah, I would just say if I if I was Eric Bienem and I'm given the choice between Herbert, does he do Aber? He doesn't do Abert. He goes Herbert, right?
1: I think yeah. so. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think so. Okay, so uh, uh, if I'm given the choice, but you know, I would rather have Watson better than uh, Herbert. But you look at the rest of the squad, and it's like, oh, look, I get to work with Randall Cobb and kiki cutie or i get to work with the chargers receiving squad i mean it's like these aren't tough decisions if you're a, if you're a head coach looking for a job it's really that's the, this is more the fallout from bill o'brien mm-hmm. being the most single most incompetent person in football history
2: yeah well, well, it certainly it, i think it also comes down to watson and tunsel that's 55 million dollars justin herbert that's $4 million. And like, it's a very, the mathematical equation there is very simple where you can still get like top seven uh, quarterback performance instead of maybe top four quarterback performance and somebody who's like, not as good of a runner. And, but just for that reason alone, like that's what makes um, the Chargers the most attractive coaching spot next year. But yeah, I think co- coaching wise, like it would be that I think Houston's going to be even like a tougher sell than like Jacksonville would be potentially maybe even the Jets if they have, like, the number two, number one overall pick as well, too. And so it's going be interesting to see, like, how badly someone actually wants to come to Houston because of the restrictions with the t- not only the talent, but the cap space problems, and then not having a first-round pick um, and a second-round pick next year as well, too.
1: And it's, I think 2021 is going to be the hard one. Now, 2022, okay, then, like, maybe at that point, the radioactive fallout from Bob as a GM finally dissipates. But... You know, the destinations, particularly like if you're dealing with the Los Angeles market, not that the Chargers ever should have moved to L.A., but now, you know, the chance to make it in L.A., that could be a potentially far more lucrative deal than making it in Houston, just based on the media market and the money involved. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's and a lot of it's going to have to be, okay. what are they going to do about Easterby and that whole mess? And that's if. You know, you can toss that holy hand grenade of Antioch in there, but you know, what what um, what are they gonna do with that? And that's but I think big picture, you're gonna have to nail the GM higher first and foremost. You nail that one, then maybe 2020 is an aberration, 2021, we're right in the thick of it, but then 2022, you're right back where you need to be. We got all of the rot from Bob as a GM. And then we're right back where we need to be. But it's not going to be easy, that's for sure. And other jobs between Jacksonville, the Chargers, maybe the Jets only because they're in the New York market. You know that that's going to be tough. I'm going to be curious to see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly how it will, but that that's going to be even more entertaining to watch than what the Texans put on the field for the last two games. So
2: mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. It's, it's weird. It's like, you have to, we have to live in the present with all eyes on the future at the moment. And I, like, I know you mentioned too, like maybe 2021, the fallout for Bob will be there, will be gone. But I don't think so at all, because it's like, when you lose a first mm-hmm. round pick, that's four years of cost effective talent. And so it's like, you really, like, it really takes a little longer than that. I think one of the things about the Texans too, is that uh, they haven't, they traded, you know, draft picks with the name redacted trade with the Deshaun Watson trade. So they lost two two first round picks there. They lost the first round picks to the Tensil trade. And so it's more than just like next year's draft. It's also the drafts preceding it. I think the only amount of upside at all in this roster is that you have talent here, like we've seen with like you know Kiki Cutie that we've seen. <laughs> uh, there's no you know, bias to selling Kahali Warren you know, yesterday too. Like there's oh. talent there that hasn't. <laughs> like been tapped yet, you know? And so like maybe a new head coach Girl. is able to like get something out of those guys and continue to do so. And even like with Ross Blacklock as well too, being a second round pick, like what Lonnie oh. Johnson being a second round pick. And I know like they haven't played well, but maybe a different head coach with a different coaching style with a different ability to like mold it, get more of those guys. Like there's, there's that like potential hidden upside thing too in this roster um, that somebody else may kind of bring it, bring in here. But like that being said, like it's gonna take more than a year or two years for the O'Brien era to like wash away. It's gonna take like you know maybe three seasons, maybe four seasons. I know BFD is wrote about this a lot. That's gonna take like you know five years potentially for uh, all the ramifications like a new dam to be built um, after all the the poor decisions that
1: O'Brien made for six years. Well, and I think that's gonna boil down to that's why you've got to hit a home run or score like a. The big touchdown with the GM. You get a creative GM. You get someone who can manage the cap, who can make those decisions. Yeah, you can accept that 2021 probably not going to be great for the team, but you get the right person in and they can manage it right. Then 2021, 2020, 2021 is kind of an aberration. But at the same time, and I can see this happening too, you get the wrong GM and the wrong decisions. The decade, you know, the 2020s for the Texans were going to be like the Bengals of you know, the 1990s of the Cleveland Browns until this year. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, this, I can see we're right on the knife's edge and I can see it going either way. So you've got to get, you got to hit the GM even more than the head coach hire.
0: So who is the GM? I mean, the problem is if you're a GM who can do that, you've already got a job.
1: This is true. And I mean, Personally, if there was some way to recruit Ozzie Newsom out of retirement and then get him right. set up for a couple yeah. of years down in Houston and then get his system what he did in Baltimore, I'd do it. <laughs> you know, Kyle out of you know, Kyle McNair needs to figure out what it would take to get Ozzie Newsom out of retirement, bring us down, bring him down here for a few years. But and I'll admit I don't know enough about NFL executive personnel to say who is the person you ought to target and go full court press to recruit, but that to me is the key for this team in the future if they're going to get over this nightmare stretch and mitigate it or is it going to be you know we're going to be like the suck franchise for the next 10 years it could go either way honestly
0: so i would now like to take the opportunity to plug uprooted texan as your next general manager <laughs> vote for uprooted texan he's not the most incompetent person up for the job
2: <laughs> yeah and then well also we all get jobs too if he gets a job so yeah make him the general right leader. I would love to like no argument here I would <laughs> love to be the West Coast scouting director and make I'll do it for forty thousand dollars a year you know and, and, uh, and <laughs> it, hires me for the East Coast
1: we got to cover so I got, you're fine
2: I'll do it forty thousand a year, I get free beer and I get all the merchandise I want so I can dress myself you know and pay me the food as well, <laughs> well too so it's just the forty thousand I have to ask fifty five
1: thousand but you know same 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 deal yeah'm okay
2: I, I just went straight to the account um the other thing I want to say, like, I do think, I don't think the general manager is more important than the head coach. I think they're both important. And I like really like, you know, as as much better as the offense has been passing wise this year for Houston. And like, it's not because they trade DeAndre Hopkins. That's not why it's better. It's better because Deshaun Watson's a better quarterback in the span of a year because he's a young quarterback and young quarterbacks tend to get better until they're 31, which is usually the typical peak for a quarterback in the NFL. It's not because they trade DeAndre Hopkins. That's, Causation without cor or this correlation without causation, but like I, I as good as the passing offense has been with Tim Kelly, Camaro, O'Brien it's more th- this thing that they haven't even scratched the surface of how good a, a offense can be, completely led and designed around Deshaun Watson. And it's like for that reason alone, like I'm all in on an offensive head coach. I'm all in on getting somebody can do the best they- best job they can to build an offense around Watson. And if the enemy wants to go to L.A. first, and then you get Dable instead. That'd be fine. I love Arthur Smith, but the whole one thing that concerns me about him is just like this is an offense that can block the outside zone all that well. And so it's like how how much of his scheme is based around that is the entirety of it just about. But I do think Arthur Smith is one of those coaches where in a different situation, he would definitely mold his offense to the players that he has and uh, be able to you mold that into a way that I think would make Watson a great quarterback as well too. And so like for me, it's all, all about that next year. And if you have an offense that's top five and you can do enough, uh, moving around to maybe get like a a like top like twenty five defense instead of the worst defense in football that's enough for maybe being a potential playoff team. Uh, what about you BFD? Do you think being a, do you think the head coach is more hard is more important? The general manager is more important, or are you just kind of like you know it's an even even keeled thing for both ends of it?
0: My my issue with this is that it needs to be a relationship. So <clears throat> base what I'm saying is. Is your general manager needs to understand what your head coach wants to do. Your head coach needs to be able to to verbalize that to your general manager to put the the best players on the field. So, I'll just I'm going to go back to the 19 really really me the 2006 draft that the Houston Texans did where you had Gary Kubiak was playing both the general manager and the head coach. And you're rubbing your eyes. I've done this so many times. I know. I get it. No, I'm just, but...
2: I had some sleep in my eye.
0: <laughs> I know. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're Gary Kubiak, the head coach, knew what Gary Kubiak, the general manager, needed to do in mm-hmm. order to be successful. And so he, he we got guys. It's just the best draft. Did I say 2000, is it 2005 or six? right? Oh, my God, I'm yeah, old. I think
1: it was six. He took a, he was, yeah. they hired him after the dumpster fire that was 2005, but.
0: Yeah. So so you had a a draft that got guys who who and and trades that happened. So you got guys who could fit around what Gary Kubiak, the the head coach, wanted. That's what you need. You need a relationship between those two guys. You need that. uh, I don't even want to use that word. Um, They have to work together. So I don't think one's necessarily more important than the other. I, I would say, generally speaking. The head coach is more important, but look, look at what Ozzy Newsom did for years. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, and, well, and I think also, too, like, going, like I think the relation thing is probably the most important thing about it because, like, that was the thing about Rick Smith, though, and and Kubiak is that they both worked together. Smith knew exactly the type of players that Kubiak needed to run his offense and run his skill, you know, run his offense and get what they needed. And then once they got Wade Phillips, like, they all kind of came together defensively. But they had that relationship together at that time. That 06 draft was Mario Williams' D'Amico Ryans, Charles Spencer, Eric Winston, Owen Daniels, Wally Lundy, and David Anderson.
0: Yeah, I mean, look how that that one draft, and then you have Kubiak signs uh, Mike Brazell as a free agent, trades two six-round picks for Chris Myers. So we just rebuilt, in that one draft, you rebuilt the entire offensive line with the, you know, kind of exception of Barbaro Spencer, but you know, just over that two-year period, you have redone the offensive line, and they're now way above average.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. My only fear, so like I never talking about like the future of the team. My fear about this team is them being kind of like the late two thousands Packers, where Rodgers was on a bad team, and they were just like always like eight and eight or seven and nine, and they lost close games and can never fully get together. Or their defense is bad, and they're like the offensive skilled players really weren't there, but Rodgers was so good, he was able to carry them. Um, and play like these MVP seasons, but they never had the postseason success or even that much the regular season success you'd expect for having a MVP caliber quarterback or, like, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time that they had in Green Bay. And so that's my biggest concern about Houston, like, next year and, like, the years going forward. I don't think this is going to be, like, a team necessarily that will, like, have a year as bad as this year again um, in some ways. Like, I, I don't – I wouldn't expect it. I would expect them more to be kind of like – how the those Packers teams were like the late 2000s Texans teams were, where they were always you know six and ten or seven nine or eight and eight, and never quite able to get to the postseason. And like you look around the AFC South, like the Jaguars have a first round pick, like you mentioned, Scott, where they have two first round picks, they have like a hundred million dollars in cap space. They're gonna get, they're gonna fire Marone, they're gonna get you know either Lawrence or Fields. The Colts are set up for success for the future. Um, it's been interesting to see what they do at the quarterback position, whatever they may do there exactly. And then whenever you look at the Titans, like, the Titans are already, like, a veteran, like, well-competent built team. There should be a good team for at least two more years or so. And so, like, it's weird because it's very competitive at the same time with also the same, like, long-term potential outlook for for franchise like Jacksonville, too. And so, like, I just, I'm just i just concerned like, they're going to be stuck in that purgatory. And they we're going to be stuck in this reality where Watson's on an underwhelming, underperforming team for way too long having to carry and do everything he needs to do. And so that fallout from the Bill O'Brien era occurs. And that may take, you know, three seasons or four seasons for nature to fully heal itself.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say, I love the way you put that because it's like Bill O'Brien just went scorched earth. He salted the land, and then he walked away with 20% of his fingers. And
1: that's how he treated the
0: Texans. mm -hmm. Well, that was. (laughs) Go
2: ahead,
1: Scott. The, the ultimate lesson is, like, if you ever get the ambition, you're an NFL head coach and you decide you want to take on the GM, don't. <laughs> Just, like, Google Bill O'Brien, look at his Wikipedia thing and see what happened if you ever, ever get the inclination for that. I mean, it. you know, you saw that with Bill Parcells, Andy Reid, better coaches than Bob. They tried it. It didn't work. They didn't do that in future jobs. Just don't. And that... You know, we're we're gonna have to pay for the fallout, unfortunately. But you know well, that... if you're,
2: or if you're an owner, don't give the head coach that much responsibility. It, nope. Yeah. And like, don't allow him I, to keep like pushing everybody out while he's the problem the entire time.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I'm the head coach, I want all the, I want all the power. The problem was Kyle.
2: Yeah, and Cal even before him, you know, or Robert. I mean, Robert before Bob McNair allowed yeah, this and... to happen as well at the same time too, you know.
0: I should
2: just call him fail, son. That's yeah. it. I, like, I like Kyle. I just forget. I've, I I am so confused now that they're not the same person. Like, oh, yeah, his dad was Cal and he's Kyle, but he's Kyle and his dad was Bob.
1: <laughs> uh, well, Bob, for all of his uh, failings, not perfect, but I would take him, you know, in his declining health than what I've seen from Cal at this point. So, you know, but yeah. hopefully Cal <laughs> learns from this. I don't know if he will, but. I, I kind of hope he does and like, okay, keep him. you know, don't ever let the same person hold, wear both of those hats. That's just bad for business too.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think the funniest thing about the season too, you know, Houston being uh four and 11 right now and having the dramatic turn in one score games, but like this season isn't like unexpected. It wasn't unreasonable to foresee this. I thought Watson was good enough that he'd be able to carry them to enough close wins again this year and be like, you know, fighting for a playoff team. I had them as a third wildcard team um this year at the times in the division but like this isn't like really surprising or reasonable they got actually worse this offseason their one score luck has changed but i think the funniest thing about this year though is that this is like o'brien's magnum opus like he spent three years building this team and creating it together he made all these decisions for this year uh to build this team around deshaun watson's rookie contract like the last year of it and he completely and dramatically failed. Uh, grander like you could ever imagine. And you know like The easiest thing in the world to do is to build a football team around a quarterback like Watson's rookie contract. And O'Brien turned that into a 4-11 football team. And uh, like I know uh, BFD mentioned a few times, like he's the worst of all time. Like I think he is one of the worst of all time. Just if you look at this season alone and it being Watson year four um, and everything that occurred you know, leading up to it, all the decisions he made and for this to be his team in his season and it be this bad with this advantageous of a situation it is completely absurd and stupid. And, um, it's Im- like, it's, it's such a ridiculous year for that reason alone.
1: Yeah, I, I agree <laughs> completely, especially Bob is a GM. I mean, that's just, and I feel like I've said that before, but you know, the NFL does their ever top 10 worst GMs of all time. Bob is definitely on that list, probably on the higher end of it, uh, particularly what he's done with, a team that was an outside Dark Horse Super Bowl contender and turning it into whatever the hell you want to call twenty twenty for this team <laughs> you know somewhere between dumpster fire and thermonuclear fallout I mean, take your pick I wish you could have a camera right
2: now for b f d just his reactions during this. It's been like i like he's visibly upset right now <laughs> thinking about how this year has been
1: Rage well, mode I, activated
0: yeah i it's not just that Bill O'Brien is like the worst g m of all time It's that he was a terrible head coach and when yeah. you look at the it's hard for me to imagine somebody who has done so much damage to a team, like one person who has done so much, the only other guy that comes to mind because we're we're talking about right we're talking about war mm-hmm. we're talking about wins above replacement player lifetime, and we're talking about that do you look at Somebody like Marvin Lewis, who seriously is like was one of the worst coaches of all time, who was just mediocre. Mike McCarthy, these guys who did long term damage to their franchises because they were so just horribly me- mediocre. But Bill O'Brien wasn't just mediocre; he was awful as a head coach. He was awful as a GM. I mean, this has got to be like the least valuable person in NFL history.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, like the nice thing to say about Brian's head coach is that there was a few years where he got the bare minimum out of the roster that he had. And like, that's the nice thing I can say, like he didn't actively hurt the team with his coaching decisions and they got the bare minimum out of it. But again, like he played a big part in like Brian Hoyer being a starting quarterback and Ryan Fitzpatrick being a starting quarterback and these sorts of decisions that wasted Watts prime and, uh, and those sorts of things as well too. So I don't know. It's a, uh, it's good. Like, like in this way, this has been a great season because Bill O'Brien got fired and Houston can move on. Uh, Going forward, and it would have been a perfect season. They were able to upset the Colts at least one of these leagues, and that didn't quite occur. Um, for this game specifically, I guess since we're kind of talking more long term to this game individually, um, Scott, next year, David Johnson has like a contract of like 13 million dollars, or I think it's 11 million. Brandon Cooks's contract hits like 13 million dollars. Do you see either (laughs) one of these players playing in Houston next year?
1: Uh, I think David Johnson's done. I I can't see, okay, like. This past game in the Colts, suddenly he has like a redonkulous receiving game, which you almost wonder like, well, where the hell was this when we needed it early in the year? So I, David Johnson's gone. He may as well start, you know, updating his resume and figuring out where else he's going to play unless he can renegotiate a better cap friendly deal with Houston. Because, you know, particularly the price we paid, you know, sending one of the top receivers in the game for, him and a minimal return i'm sorry he he uh, if he's in a Texans jersey next season they either got a really really cap friendly deal or we hired a worse gm than bill (laughs) o'brien uh brandon cooks i mean i there may have to be some cap machinations with him i i don't know if he should be on the roster in 2021 but you know that I'm going to leave that one up to the GM. Um, I, I suspect, like, just due to caps hit, cap hits and stuff, like, Randall Cobb will probably still be around. Uh, if you can find a way to make it cap friendly to keep him, okay. But, you know, maybe you find a way to trade him for something in the offseason. I, you know, you're all, it is kind of at a point like you keep Watson, Tunsell, maybe Howard, and then everyone else is fair game. Whatever you can get for him, get. Because mm-hmm. you are in a, you got to rebuild a whole lot on this team and wide receiver. He's had his moments, but I, I don't know if either of those can expect to be on the roster when opening day happens in 2021. I, David Johnson, definitely not cooks. We'll see how it plays out depending on who gets hired and what you can get for him, and how you renegotiate various deals. Yeah. So,
2: well, Johnson, so yeah, 11 catches, 11 targets for under six yards and long and 31. He had his second good play this year, his second one. His first one, of course, is that run against Kansas City, that touchdown run where he was able to like you know, make a guy miss in the hole and bounce in score. Uh, but that like catch he had where he broke a tackle and able to outrun three guys for a little bit, that's probably the second good play he's had this year. Um, you know, I agree with BFD and his big, you know, X he was making across the screen is Mark of Zorro. Now like, there's no way David Johnson's gonna be here next year. Uh the more interesting player to in me though is Brandon Cooks and like the Texans don't have like another outside receiver. But I don't like Brand Cooks at all this year. There's this idea this summer that he's more than a deep thread. He hasn't even been a deep thread at all this year. He can't win his vertical routes. His speed has been noticeably different this year than it was in Los Angeles two years ago. Like he had trouble being with Jerevius Sneed in week one. And that's been carried on you know, throughout this year. The only vertical route he really won was against Chase Claybrooks, who's like the Jaguars sixth cornerback on a bad pass <laughs> well, defense. Well, the Jags too, so Yeah, I mean... on a bad pass defense already. And like all of this stuff for like, like it's all crossing routes, it's all long developing play action stuff where he runs a post route, takes him all the way across the field as he runs, as he scampers past zone coverage. And like I just don't see the value for a receiver like him that doesn't consistently move the chains that you don't want running over the middle because of his body and injury history that you can't really use on jet sweeps and stuff because again his body and his injury history and he's a tiny guy as well too with speed. His game is based entirely around speed and his speed has already noticeably declined as well at the same time. And so for that reason, like I don't, I don't see a team who would. Like I think a team may trade like a fifth round or sixth round pick for him maybe, but I don't see I don't see him worth keeping around for you know thirteen million dollars next year whatever it is. And so I think both those players are for sure easy cuts, um, next season. What about you, BFD? Uh, who
0: who would have said that Brandon Cooks wasn't a good signing? I mean, the dude who's on his like eighteenth team in the past four years. I mean, are we surprised he's not he's not giving what we thought he would give us? Mm-hmm. Uh i i loved brandon cooks he's not a he's not a wr1 he's not and we tre- keep trying to treat him like that he's not people are paying him like that and he's not he needs to go the te- ted ginn route the rest of his career and just kind of become become that kind of player but even ted ginn was winning the the deep route so oh uh, it's so frustrating yeah I mean, I love the dude, but he's not, he's not who you think he is.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And like, again, like, it's not that, like Kiki Cutie can do the same thing he does. Cutie can be an outside wide receiver and run deep crossing routes over and over again. You know, like, you don't need to pay a uh, $11 million for that production and Again, like he's not a good vertical receiver and like, that's probably been the worst thing about this offense since them Kelly's taken over, especially since Fuller was suspended is that there's something vertical about it. And one of the things that Watson's spectacular at is pushing the ball 20 yards plus downfield. And that part of the game has been really uh, missing this year too. Um, so the offensive line, they gave up five sacks in this game. DeForest Buckner at three. Danico Autry at a sack and a half. Uh, Tyus Howard left with a concussion. Who knows if he plays at all this year. And so like, this question was from Eddie. He asked, the blueprint against this offense is the pressure of the middle and collapse the pocket. No matter how good our tackles are, if the pressure's up the middle, we seem to guard no pass protection or rushing lanes. Whose responsibility is this to get this fixed? The offensive line coach. And so bouncing off that question as well, Scott, um, do you think this offensive line is just an offensive line coach away? Or do you think they actually need to retool, you know, the entire interior of it for it to be, you know, competent next year? Again, like this is a Texans offensive line that is 32nd in run offense DVOA and Watson's in all this sort of run game at all this year too.
1: Well, it's probably a combination of, both factors. I mean, a new offensive line coach is probably needed. And then you really need to look at what talent you have for your interior line. Uh, The fact that they weren't willing to protect uh, Tunsil and Howard says, okay, you figure your tackles are probably okay. But yeah, your interior of your line, I mean, Nick Martin, definitely not worth the contract he's being paid. And the fact that you have like little to no faith in your second round draft pick of Sharping as a guard and Zach Fulton is rated among one of the worst interior guards you got. So, I, I, yeah, there, there needs to be work in the middle and it, you know, one of many indictments you could say is Bob is a GM to be sure, but you know, that at this point beating that horse, that horse has already dried glue on some preschool or grade you know, art project. <laughs>
2: It's a, it's a, macro, so, it's a macaroni pasta collage now. It's like shaped like a the glue finish. that was
1: in that macaroni is already dried up and yeah. fallen off. I mean, but, <laughs> and it, that,
2: and that kid has already graduated high school as well too. Who made that macaroni
1: picture. Yeah, honestly. I mean, I, I think <laughs> so it, it's, it's a multi-part answer there. I mean, maybe the right offensive line coach can get something out of the interior, but you know, certainly you're going to have to look at like, okay, if, you know, the dead money considerations. Yeah, it'd be okay. You purge all three and try to rebuild in the interior, but what, you know, what dead money considerations are you going to have with Nick Martin, especially?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so, BFT, do you think that their offensive line cuts away to have a good offensive line next year after it being a bad no. offensive line for four years in a row or five years in a row?
0: No. Uh, it, no, I, I mean, Somebody's going to be able to come in. Somebody's going to be able to make Sharping better, at least. I mean, this is our small victories. Is Art Devlin is just trash. I, it, Art Devlin is, like, he might be the worst, like, position coach I've ever seen in my life, and he's, still, <laughs> he's been in that role for, like, six or seven yeah. years. Nobody, nobody comes into the Texans and improves as an offensive lineman. You get worse. Even Tunsil's worse this year. Yeah. How do you do that? How do you make a player work?s And Devlin's like, "Oh, I can do it." So um, Fulton's terrible, Martin's terrible. They both need to be replaced. Sharpie can can be improved upon. Maybe Cavale. I don't even know how to say his name. Can come in. I think it's Quali. Whatever. He can go to the other guard position. There is at least something to work with there. There's at least some level of optimism there. But Fulton, uh, Fulton's done. I mean, he's just done. And Martin was never good enough to get that contract that he got. So
2: Yeah. Well, and like Fulton was good in Kansas City. Yeah, don't sign Kansas City interior offensive linemen.
0: Oh, oh, dude, who else was good in Kansas City that came to the Texans?
2: The one and only Jeff Allen.
0: And Jeff Allen.
2: Yeah, the one and only Jeff Allen. Yeah, don't sign Kansas Mm -hmm. City interior offensive linemen. Uh rule number one in team building. Well even Sharping like Sharping just needs to get strong. Like he, he doesn't know the playbook this year. He's not strong enough to play guard at all. He didn't get he didn't lift any weights this all this offseason. I have no idea. Maybe he's expecting there was gonna be a season he's like, Yeah, I'll just hang out for twenty one and get in shape things like, Oh, actually we're gonna do this. Um the, so this is a true statement, all right. Frank Paulie is better than Max Sharping. Uh BFD, is this the saddest true statement you can come up with regarding the Houston Texans in two thousand twenty?
0: Who?
2: Brent Qualley is better than Mac Sharp. Oh,
0: see, I don't even know how to like pronounce his name. I can't understand his name. Yes, he has been. Is that God, the, is that the sad, so Is that the is
2: that the most depressing true statement you can come up with? Describe the 2020 Houston Texans.
0: I am turning into a corn cob. Is that depressing? <laughs>
2: <laughs> mm. Um, so Scott, there's been like a wide, like in a bad season like this, one of the things that occurs is that there's a ton of players going into week one that you would never have thought you'd ever watch play football in your entire life. And now they're here all the time and you can't get rid of them. You can't go away. and You probably won't ever see them ever play football again. And, but like, you'll still look fondly and be like, Oh yeah, I remember Jeff Tarpinian. He had a really cool name. (laughs) You know, you have guys like that, that will always stick in your mind. Um, so out of the 2020 season, Scott, I have some names here, and if I may miss him by let me know. But out Brent Cav- Cavalli, Keon Crossing, Collie Waring, Farrell Brown, Tyrell Adams, PJ Hall, Chad Hansen, uh, or somebody that I may miss. Who's your favorite, like, unexpected 2020 Houston Texan uh, that you've enjoyed to watch play this year that you would never have thought you'd ever would have watched them play in week one this year?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I know your answer would be Waring, but you've kind of had a ma- huge man crush on him. Oh. But, um <sighs> I I guess I think the one that's been interesting to see emerge over the last couple of weeks, you know, Chad Hansen, like practice squad wide receiver, because coming into the season you figured as much as we knew where there might be problems, particularly the defensive backfield, uh, you know, would the offensive line improve. But the fact that a practice squad wide receiver would be coming in and actually making certain contributions, I think that's been a bit surprising. Uh, you know, coming in you had like the moves to bring in Cooks, you had the contract for Cobb, Will Fuller, the prove-it year. Uh, you know, you just, that you would have seen Chad Henson
0: mm-hmm. coming
1: in and actually being somewhat decent the last couple of weeks. That, I wouldn't have seen that. And even if I had like a full bottle of scotch and Jack Daniels, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have seen it. Um, so I, I think his has been the most surprising uh, deal just because like, of all the positions you figured wide receiver would kind of be a strength coming in for the Texans, but somehow due to injuries and effectiveness or, you know, listening to bad doctor's advice on what substances you should or shouldn't take, that Hanson has played fairly well, okay, that, I would not have seen that coming. That someone like P.J. Hall or Tyrell Adams on the defense, well, we knew the defense was going to be kind of weak coming in. We didn't know how bad they were going to be but okay, they suck so bad. Someone had to step up. Okay, got it. But Hanson as a wide receiver, wouldn't have seen that. So I think he's got to rank as the biggest surprise I see for this roster so far.
2: Hmm. Uh, BFT, do you think like Hanson's like a long-term option at receiver for the Texans, or is this just like a cute little story in a bad season?
0: Uh, I, I don't know what else the dude needs to do to get more PT. I mean... If you would ask me that same question, it would have been Chad Hansen because the dude does everything he needs to do. He's running crisp routes, he's catching the ball, he's doing things after he catches the ball. I want this dude on the roster.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, with the Hansen thing, is that Chicago gave me a trouble break B man coverage that week. And like he's had two games against the Colts. And like, again, the Colts, whenever you spread them out horizontally, you can find holes. And he had, you know, that one catch where he was completely wide open. And so I haven't seen enough to expect him like being like a, a competent wide receiver in the future. Um, I need to see more of him like being man coverage. But like that being said, like I still think based on what he's done so far, like if you're playing Madden, he's like the L one receiver, you know, like the right. fifth wide receiver who's <laughs> like a sixty two overall that like you may throw the ball nice. to fifteen times a year or whatever. And so I think he could at least be that potentially. Um but I don't I haven't seen enough from this year to be like, Oh yeah, he I really like Chad Hansen. I really expect that he's gonna be, you know, here in the future. Um the one player I do have a strong opinion though is Tyrell Adams. I think he's bad. I think he's actively bad. he's terrible. Bad. Oh like every, every, All these slinging tackle attempts where he just throw guy, throws guys past the first down marker just makes me noxious and, and sick. And there's been this idea going around that Tyrell Adams could be a star linebacker for the Texans next season. If that occurs, it means that whoever they hire as the drill manager has no idea what they're doing at all whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, I don't think Adams is very good at all.
0: He's 28 years old. I mean, this is where he's at. When he's 28 years old, he's already past his physical prime. Mm-hmm. He's nearing his his mental prime, and and no, he's he's bad. He's really bad. I, I've been saying all season, like, like he needs to start charging guys for the way he carries them across the first down <laughs> yeah, line, <for> sure. like. <laughs> He's like the uber of linebackers.
2: <laughs> I, I think you could create like interdimensional space travel where it's just Tyrell Adams slinging people across the universe <laughs> to, into different solar systems. Uh,
1: um, of course, the other thing, the thing that helps Adams is he doesn't carry quite the cap hit that McKinney carries. So I think
2: I miss McKinney better so worse, much after watching Adams. He, this he year. may be
1: around just because of Caponomics.
2: Yeah, but you can still find a line. Like, John Bostick is a linebacker you can get next year who'd be much better than Tyler Adams is, you know? and like Or you can draft a linebacker in the sixth round. You can always find somebody. But watching Adams this year, and even watching like Cunningham have to play the, like primary linebacker role, it just made me appreciate Bernard McKinney even more than I already did, you know?
1: And I'd love to see McKinney around, but given our cap situation, I would be really, really shocked unless they can work some sort of cap magic and i don't know who they're going to get to manage the cap for that but
2: yeah there's no that's... way i can't see mckinney staying here next year um, but it still no. doesn't take away like how good or... yeah how good he yeah. was um previously though and like mckinney's become like one of the most underrated texans of all time like for some reason there's some sort of like sour idea for him uh because people i guess don't like him they like zach cunningham even though mckinney's better than cunningham is um one hundred thousand million percent um so bfd we had a question from at chill cuts deep And he asked, can Kiki's ball security issues be fixed? So, so far in QD's career, he's had four fumbles. He's lost each one of them, including two this year. And now the doghouse may be back open. I hope not. I hope he's still allowed to sleep in the same bed as Romeo Cornell, despite this fumble last week. But do you think this can be fixed?
0: Yes. You know, Scott already said it earlier. You teach him to put the ball up in his armpit. So you make it much more difficult to get it out. I mean, it's just ball security. You can teach this. This is a thing that can happen.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Or he needs to go hang out with Keith Urban that Friday Night Lights scene, whenever uh, his you know he comes home, his dad's all drunk and mad for fumbling, and he like beats him and duct tapes the ball in his arm. Maybe Kiki Q needs to go hang out with uh, Keith Urban in Friday Night Lights 2005. You know.
1: Oh my well, god! Do you remember that scene? Slightly a slightly less um domestic violence involved scene right that's so what it if, like if that's
2: what time. it takes to solve his fumbling issues we got it needs to be done you know even if it takes domestic well, I, violence I would, to, I would say to probably the, the less fumbling. painful
1: version is Tiki Barber the last couple of seasons he had as the New York Giants runner cuz the guy had a nightmare fumbling problem for the first part of his career but then he got the high and tight high and tight football and you know, I can't recall the dude fumbling even during that Super Bowl season. Yeah. Now, he became a douche after he retired, but as far as fumbling, he fixed it. I, you know, I'm sure you could go back and say he maybe fumbled once or twice in the last four seasons he played as a running back for the Giants. But when he fixed that problem, he was golden. So it definitely, is, as BFD was saying, you can fix that stuff. And Tiki Barber, primo example, as a running back who takes more hits than a wide receiver. So you can do the same. I have faith in that.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think it's something that can be fixed as well too. And I hope it does, because he's too electric and he's too good a receiver um to not play, not be able to sort something as important as uh ball security out as well too. Um defensively, real quick to in the night show, like I saw a couple of things and like I think it still kinda of goes down to the fact that Anthony Weaver isn't that good. But they're just the Colts are just a bad matchup for Houston, mainly because they have a really good offensive line. Number two, this is one of the worst tackling games <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life also. Like, I think they missed, like, 30 tackles this game. It was just, like, carnage and bodies laying all over the field. Um, but they are also really bad in the slot. And so, like, Eric Murray's your slot cornerback having to cover Zach Pascal, which didn't work at all. And then you have Tyrell Adams having to carry the seam, uh, you know, against these, like, deep slot routes like that. Throw to T.Y. Hilton as well, too. That was a big problem. Um, and, like, it's just, it's just a bad matchup for Houston's defense. And they only forced two punts. And one was because Trey Burton dropped a wide-open drag route, and the other was because Charles Amin, who had that hard-working sack, that created a long third down, and the Colts had the vertical passing game to throw themselves out of it. But um, it was it was awful, and like the tackling was the thing I'll always remember um, from this game from a defensive perspective. I know you mentioned how bad the tackling was last week, BFD. Can you still see it? Can you still see all the bodies laying around the field?
0: It doesn't matter. I mean, who are you going to look at on the defensive side of the, this team and say, oh, they're good? And basically, the answer is J.J. Watt. And what, what else do you expect? Any of these other? Uh, well, I'm Justin Reed, but he's out. Mm-hmm. What? what uh, this is one of the worst defensive squads I've seen in my lifetime from a personnel standpoint, and that's really saying something.
2: And they only add Eric Murray to it. Also, that, they got they got rid of Reed and Gibson. And they added Eric Murray to it. Like it's amazing how much better this defense would be. If they just kept Tayshawn Gibson instead of paying Eric Murray, it would right. make a dramatic difference to it. Um, there isn't talk about Ras Blacklock this week because he only played seven snaps. If you I went back and watched him, I I mean he's just getting blown four yards off the ball in the, these double teams. But same thing with Carlos Walken, Same thing with Luget. Like the entire defensive line was just awful last week, and it was really easy to pick up the second level for him. Um, but again, I can't get I still can't get over how bad the tackling was as well this week. Um, Scott, so today the Texans met Jim Caldwell to interview for the Texas head coaching job. Oh my! God. Are you excited to get sleepy? Are your are your eyes already red? Are you already tired? Do you is do you think this is just a formality? Do you think Caldwell could actually be like somebody who could be hired for this position? And if so, like, are you upset? Are you happy? Do you like the idea of this? Uh, what are your thoughts on the well, Caldwell news?
1: Well, Caldwell ain't my number one choice for this job. But that being said. I mean, first off, his stock has gone up, given how bad Detroit has fallen apart since they fired him. And I get it. Like, Detroit was that 9-7, and 10-16, couldn't win a playoff game. So they were stuck in this weird purgatory. So I understand that, okay, we need to figure out a way to take the next step. Of course, you hire Matt Patricia, and, I mean, the one guy that Bill O'Brien could outcoach was Matt Patricia. And that tells you where that goes. So if we ended up hiring Jim Caldwell, I wouldn't be super excited, but I wouldn't exactly be that ticked off. I would take Jim Caldwell over Josh McDaniels or Brian Schottenheimer any day of the week and twice on Sundays. I think Caldwell would be a a stabilizing influence. I don't think he would try to become as power hungry as Bob did in the last few years. Now, his coordinator hires are going to be incredibly important. And obviously, whoever the GM is, they need to have a good working relationship. But if we had Caldwell, I don't think it would be terrible. I don't know if I would get uber excited. But, you know, given what we have had as a head coach, it wouldn't be the worst thing we could do.
2: <laughs> I, I think that's a good t-shirt, uh, Jim Caldwell. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Without you, BFD, what are your callable thoughts?
0: Yeah, it excites me about as much as, you know, vanilla ice cream, I guess.
2: Without vanilla um, bean ice cream, or just straight vanilla? <laughs> are, are there at least some beans in there? No, there's Damn. no beans. All there's right.
0: no beans in this. But, you know, at least it's not, you know, ice milk. <laughs> um, he'd be fine as long as he's like kind of the CEO, somebody said it on the thread when we talked about it earlier in the BRB admin list, but who do you get as the offensive coordinator? I mean, the entire point again is to get somebody who can take Deshaun Watson and move him to mm-hmm. the next level. And Jim Caldwell is not that guy. So he's fine, but unarousing.
2: Yeah. Well, like he's the good version of Marvin Lewis to me. You know what I mean? Or like he's better than Marvin Lewis. He's gives you fine. Uh, it's just all about like delegating responsibly from there. Like when he was in like he had that 14-2 year with Indy, a ten and six year with Indy, and then uh and then they had Manning had his injury and they went two and fourteen got fired. In Detroit he went eleven and five, he had three nine and seven seasons. They went 0 and two in the postseason while he was there, he got fired. And then Patricia came in, and everything fell apart. But like one of those years in Detroit was because they won a lot of close games. And, and they had, like, a really incredible defensive line because they were bad for five years. And they were able to draft Nick Fairley and Ndamukong Su, uh, and build out through their front four like that. And so, like, I don't I don't really... Like, again, it's, like, it's better than, I guess, O'Brien, but it's, like, it's a good version of Marvin Lewis and really would come down to the coordinators that he has, too. But, yeah, like, if they hire Jim Caldwell, it's not because he's the best candidate. It's because other coaches didn't want to coach for the Houston Texans, solve the problems with the salary cap they have, and the current um, draft issues that they have and said, this is not a good spot at all for me and decided to go elsewhere. To, you know, like Los Angeles, like you mentioned, to Jacksonville, to New York, um, to even Detroit and pick those spots instead of going to Houston. I think, like, this is, like, the safe, like, a safe, like, if we can't find anything else sort of option for Houston.
0: Yeah, and the, the other thing that I'm seeing is that, oh, this is a Rooney like um interview, right? So he's mm-hmm. just covering the fact that he's black, and I don't agree with that, but what it tells me is that the Texans are worried that Eric Bannemi is not an option.
2: Well, you can't, and so you it's can't like, interview Eric Bannemi yet, that is the only thing. Uh,
0: right, right, right. So, golly, I mean, is that who we're li- really relegating ourselves to? That's what we're doing, so we're going to interview Jim Caldwell, or...
2: Oh, God. I'm getting tired just thinking about it. I'm getting sleepy. Uh, well, it's...
1: I don't know why... In some cases, you got to wonder why is the rush to hire a guy immediately after the season ends? There's no... It's not like in college where you have to have the guy to handle the recruiting for the final leg of it. You know, and you can make the argument the Colts didn't hire Frank Reich until long after... Obviously after, you know, Josh McDaniels ghosted him. But it, it's... Sometimes I just wonder what's the rush to hire the guys, particularly because the best coordinators, oh, by the way, their teams are probably the ones that are going to be deep in the playoffs, maybe even in the Super Bowl. So you're like limiting yourself in that aspect. So, I, I mean, I get it. You want to say, okay, we're hiring people. Keep the faith. Renew your season tickets because we're we're trying to bring in the best people. I get the business aspect of it. But in the NFL there's something to be said for maybe a little bit of patience when it comes to these coaching candidates. Like, your best coordinators, the good chance, you know, all the good jobs are taken up because everybody wants to hurry up and hire a guy. Like, you know, with Cleveland, Stefani, the offensive coordinator for Minnesota Vikings, the team that got knocked out by San Francisco, and Robert Sala was, like, left out on the lurch on that, which, okay, Cleveland's worked out this year, but why, why rush? I don't see how you gain anything, particularly in the NFL calendar, to hire a guy before the Super Bowl. But maybe that's just me.
2: Yeah, I can I completely I completely agree with that. And like I I don't see there's a need to rush for it. I think this is like a formality and as they're talking to people who they can talk to right now and Colball is one of them. Um so has been our show for tonight. I want to end it with one last thing from at underscore necrodank underscore and he said a man what? a man went to see a shrink for depression said, I'm sad, Doc. I don't feel hope anymore. Shrink said, I know there's a quarterback in town, Deshaun Watson. He gives everyone hope. But Doc, the man responds, I am Deshaun Watson. Ooh, <laughs> you feel that? Because mm-hmm. I, I, I feel that. And after seeing Watson kind of like, you know, a little dejected, you know, saying good things about, you have to get through the bad, to have the good or whatever, uh, it does make me sad to kind of see him, you know, out there, you know, giving, it a, giving it his all and watching Laramie So like, drag his feet around turn around look back while he's you know slaughtered on the ground by four people but i hope the future is better i think it's going to be better um but it won't be for right now and so next week we get to watch the texans play the Bengals on december twenty seventh to 12 p.m uh our good old friends in cincinnati and we'll be able to talk about that next week too so until next time i'm matt weston thank you for listening to Red radio thank you for being on tonight bfd and thank you for coming in again uh scott